0: lecture two part one of the groundwork of the christian virtues by william bernard Ullathorne. this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture two on the nature of christian virtue part one whatsoever things are true whatsoever modest whatsoever just whatsoever holy whatsoever lovely whatsoever of good report, if there be any virtue, if any praise of discipline, think of these things. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Plato has said that were virtue to appear in visible form to the eyes of men, she would awaken in them a wonderful love. Virtue, however, is not a goddess, but a gift of God saint paul knew a diviner virtue than plato could imagine and saw that virtue with the attributes of truth justice and purity of modesty holiness and loveliness as commended for the praise of discipline and as most worthy of our thoughts but when virtue in all perfection did appear in visible form to the eyes of men when christ the wisdom of god and the power of god was seen and heard and touched by men the humble alone were drawn to him with wondering love the sensual and the proud scorned and crucified him something more than human eyes is required to love that virtue which descends from god we cannot love that of which there is no element within us and as the divine grace is the principle of christian virtue we first require the grace of humility to open our eyes to the divine beauty of that virtue which alone is worthy of god christian virtue differs so widely from natural virtue that its power begins from god it is an active reflection of the moral attributes of god and a certain partaking such as the creature can receive of the virtue of god giving the soul an active resemblance to her creator and a divine attraction to unite her spirit with him this virtue begins in faith and is perfected in charity and is the true nobility of the soul its atmosphere is the divine light its principle the divine grace its final object god himself as the infinite virtue of god and the supreme beauty of his eternal action are beyond our imitation reach or comprehension he has given us the form of virtue that is proper to our nature in the human life and example of his incarnate word the subject of virtue is the human will it is of great practical importance to understand this clearly it may be defined in general terms as the disposition of the will to conform the soul to truth and justice the latin word virtus from which the word virtue comes is derived from vir and intus signifying the inward force or energy of man the greek words arete and dunamis are used in much the same sense as the latin word virtus, and in the sacred scriptures these words almost invariably signify interior vigour power or force of soul it must be remembered that the soul as a spiritual substance is simple and one but it is susceptible of spiritual light and force in proportion to its purity as it receives the light of truth it is mind as it is an active power it is will when st paul tells the thessalonians that the work of faith is in power he uses the word that signifies both power and virtue and so in many other places the word virtue still retains with us the sense of power or effective strength or when we speak of the healing virtue of certain plants the object of these remarks is to impress clearly on your mind that virtue always implies a habit of force in the will either to act or to endure but although force of will is the foundation of virtue it is not actual virtue of itself because that force may be given either to virtue or to vice virtue is the right direction of the force of the will to its right objects the will is a free cause exercising the forces possessed by the soul from its own elective choice in short virtue is the strength of the soul because it acts in order, and vice is the weakness of the soul, because it acts in disorder. But Christian virtue is much more the strength of the soul, because in it the will is helped by the supernatural power of divine grace. The virtues are the interior fountains from which our good actions spring, like fruit from a well sunned tree but the vices are the sources from which our evil acts break out like corruption from a festering wound both are habits of the soul and both habits are increased by exercise but our virtuous habits incline us to good and our vicious habits to evil virtue has been defined by st thomas after st augustine to be a good quality or habit of the soul by which we rightly live and which cannot be put to an evil use but this last cause requires a distinction as a good habit of the soul no virtue can be put to an evil use but we may make that virtue an object of the mind or of the imagination and as such it may be evilly used as when any one despises that virtue or treats it with pride or with levity but it cannot be put to an evil use as it is a habit of the will the most accurate thinker among the heathen philosophers has beautifully explained the nature of virtue as being a certain force productive and conservative of good for the effect of virtue is to make the person good as well as his work, and to perfect the soul according to the quality and degree of the virtue exercised. Virtue, then, is not a sentiment or a feeling or any conscious enjoyment of one's own goodness, as some people are blind enough to imagine. The pleasure of virtue is derived from its object and is a result of its exercise whilst the reward of christian virtue is neither the virtue itself nor the enjoyment of it but the god of virtue as st ambrose says he who quits himself and cleaves to virtue loses his own and gains what is eternal although the virtues are not created or born with us but have to be acquired yet we have the preparation for them in the image of god and the powers of the soul in the fundamental appetite for good and in the light of reason these are the preparations for the virtues of the natural man their light is from the natural reason and they go not beyond the bounds of nature nor exceed the powers of nature they grow into habits by exercise which strengthens all good inclinations but although the natural man is capable of knowing god as the creator and ruler of the world and the judge of consciences giving natural rewards to the good and punishments to the evil his natural virtue can never bring his soul into union with god this is the work of supernatural and infused virtue here begins the marvellous difference between the natural man and the christian man so enormous is the distance between created good and divine good between the imperfect creature and the all-perfect creator and so infinite the difference between the natural qualities of the soul and the divine attributes of god that no natural power in the creation can possibly raise the soul to God. To effect this great object, a divine power must descend from God and enter the soul of man, purifying and sanctifying his nature, illuminating him with divine light, strengthening and attracting him to ascend above himself in will and desire by the infusion of a divine virtue. Which by the acceptance and cooperation of his will he makes his own. This is the mystery of grace. This sanctifying influence is the root and force of those divine habits in man which we call the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, whereby the soul holds direct communication with God these infused habits given first in baptism are the seeds of a divine life above the life of nature and the principles of all the christian virtues they enable us to give our mind heart and works to god as to the supreme good and the final end of our life and being they are habits because so long as they are not rejected by the vices they abide permanently in the soul and incline us to exercise the virtues of which they are the principles and these habits are perfected by the actual grace which constantly feeds them and gives them activity and by the cooperation of the will all virtue is in the will as in its human cause it is necessary to repeat this simple truth because some minds are so confused that they almost fancy that each virtue and each vice is a separate will the other powers of the soul are the subjects of the will and the will acts through them and puts them in motion the intellectual virtues for example such as faith understanding knowledge and wisdom dwell in the mind as the subject in which they reside but the powers of the mind are moved by the will and decided by the will upon which they wholly depend for their free action as it is our will that moves our corporal eyes that fixes their attention when we wish to see and turns them away when we wish not to see so are the eyes of the understanding moved by the will which searches for the truth through them adheres to the truth when found refuses its consent to falsehood and suspends its assent when the truth does not appear hence the folly of the vulgar saying that a man is not responsible for his thoughts or his opinions for the will is responsible for the whole action of the mind as far as it is voluntary there are intellectual vices as well as virtues vices that destroy all soundness of judgment but the will is the cause of those vices which are always allied with pride sensuality or passion virtue therefore as st augustine remarks is the good use of the free will if we would understand the right management of the soul this cannot be too much insisted on that in all its branchings virtue is reducible to the good use of the will the will moves all the other powers and moves them with ease and vigour in proportion to the force of the will and its habitual exercise in virtue but as the christian virtues go beyond the scope of nature in them the force of will depends upon the divine gifts that assist our natural weakness and the prosperity of these virtues comes on the subjection of the will to the powers of grace that its action may be illuminated and sustained by the light and power that descends from god another point that should be clearly understood is the essential simplicity of the will what looks on the surface like multiplicity in the will is caused by the number of different objects with which the one simple will is engaged each one succeeding the other but as in a dissolving view one picture still lingers for a time on the canvas whilst another is growing over it so in the will the last object with which it has been engaged may still quiver there whilst attention is being directed to another when the will leaps rapidly from one thing to another and especially when those things are at discord the action of the will becomes confused perplexed and troubled but when the will acts tranquilly without hurry or hasty flitting from object to object and especially when it is steadily engaged on some one good course of action it is concentrated strong and peaceful and we realize its beautiful simplicity the exercise of every habit of virtue includes five distinct elements these are the object of the virtue the motive the law of the virtue the decision and the action the object of a virtue is that upon which or towards which or against which it is exercised the object decides the nature of the virtue and gives the name to it each virtue is distinguished from all the rest and obtains its special character from its object the object of faith for example is the invisible truth revealed to us by god and in adhering to that truth the will adheres to the god of truth the object of justice is to give to all what is their due the object of temperance is to hold back the will from whatever is noxious excessive or dangerous to the soul the motive is the end we have in view and the considerations that influence and determine the decision the stronger the motive the more firm animated and determined will be the decision that leads to action the object of the virtue may also be its motive and especially is this the case with the theological virtues where god is both the object of the virtue and the chief motive although that virtue may be strengthened by various considerations for several motives may be entertained and may combine to help us to decide upon our chief motive and to act upon one or more motives this is the secret of raising the lower virtues into the region of the higher virtues so that they may partake of the higher virtue by acting on its motive for it is the motive that gives value to the virtue because it is the final end to which the virtue is directed by the will if a man helps the poor because it becomes his station in life or because he accounts it honourable that no one in distress should leave his door unrelieved this man has no higher motive or end to his virtue than his own honour which is the heathen virtue of self-respect beginning and ending in the man himself if another assists the poor from the natural feeling of sympathy and kindliness and looks to no higher motive this is the natural virtue of benevolence but nothing beyond if the christian helps the helpless not merely from kindliness but for the love of god the motive is charity and whilst his object is to help his suffering neighbour his final motive is the love of god as all the virtues whatever their object can be directed to god as to their chief motive and final end they can all be commanded and ruled by the love of god thus every virtue may be raised to the dignity and excellence of a divine virtue by accepting its motive and what rises no higher than a natural virtue when done from natural motives may ascend to a supernatural virtue when under the influence of grace it looks to a divine motive the intention is the face of the soul says st bernard and a different intention constitutes a different fact a work is then truly excellent says st augustine when the intention of the workman is struck out from the love of god and returns again and again to rest in charity what a prodigious waste of value is caused to the virtues by exercising them on low motives and with low intentions when they might be exercised on the very highest motives the higher the motive the nearer the soul is carried towards god and this is true even in the lowest occupations man sees in the face but god in the heart man looks to the present value of the virtues as they affect this life but god looks at the inward motive and intention as it regards eternity the soul may draw near to god whilst the body is humbled down to the lowest toil but this the world cannot see there is a sublimity arising from the high flight of the intention above the meanness of the work whilst both unite in the will of the workman which angels may admire but which the world that sees but the mean work can never understand the poor man rich in faith who toils for the love of god and is generous of the little fruit of his labours is much nearer to heaven than the rich man who spends a fortune in good works from no higher motive than his natural inclination to benevolence the light in the mind presents the law of virtue to the will as well as the motives for its exercise but the object of the virtue may be presented to the mind or to the senses according to the nature of that object thus we have the object of the virtue the law of the virtue and the motive of the virtue all these are external to the will Although their influence is exercised upon the will to set it in motion but without the free judgment and decision of the will which is the beginning of action and the carrying out of that decision which is the perfecting of action there is no virtue the two formal elements of virtue therefore are decision and action the decision of the will is that by which we judge and decide by the light of the law upon the motives entertained to do this or that act of virtue or to follow out a series of acts the chief element of virtue as st thomas points out is the decision of the will for where there is true decision action follows in its due time and place as a matter of course virtue then is neither more nor less than the good and right management of the will in its decisions and actions the strength of a habit of virtue shows itself in the firmness of its decisions and in the tranquil vigour of its actions restlessness and excitement betray weakness tranquillity is a quality that belongs to solid virtue it is one thing to see the better things another to decide the will to seek them and another to do them a clear sight of the good to be done is the first but not the only requisite for decision there must also be a wish to do them and this wish is awakened and animated by feeling the motives that determine the will to decision place a dish of ripe fruit before a child and you not only draw his attention but awaken his appetite and so move him to desire he feels the wish before he tastes and it is less the sight than the appetite that determines his desire so it is with the things of the soul there must not only be the sight but the appetite of the beautiful things of justice. Hence our Lord has said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after justice, for they shall be filled. St. Matthew, chapter 5, verse 6. End of lecture 2, part 1.